0: Sorry about that feedback. Man, Everett, I don't know if I've ever seen the announcements cheered at a church before. That's like amazing, man. We love Everett. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, w- what a great welcome. And, and uh, man, I want to take a minute. You know, Marco would kill me uh, if he would, knew that I was going to do this. But man, you guys have a great pastor. Yes, and, and I hope, and I know that um, I think October was pastor appreciation Month And if you didn't do anything personally, I would just encourage you, even though, you know, we're, we're past it one day, man, just this afternoon, maybe send a text and, you know, uh, a phone call or something and just, man, just tell Marco, man, you, imp- you appreciate um, his shepherding of this body. You know, we, we take, I know Marco takes this very seriously. We talk a lot about this at, in uh, Harlingen, and I know Marco feels the same way. The Bible says that he will give an account one day for how he shepherds this body. He will answer to the Lord for how he spiritually shepherds. And I know that that weighs on him, not in a negative way, but there's a, a gravity to that. And he takes it very seriously. And um, just to know that you notice and appreciate, I think, would mean a lot to him. And he is a, a very good friend. And and I hope you know for some of you, you do. I see Gary and Ann and I've met and have seen several this morning that, you know, know the rich history. But for those of you who don't, I want to just um, remind you, there is a, a long and deep and very meaningful history between Logos and Harlingen and Storehouse. And I won't, I won't explain it all, but at least for us, we're eight years old. And it's at least that long. And um, it means a lot. And, and right now, Marco and I and, and Pastor Chris and Harlingen, we, we talk a lot and we get together, but our desire in the future is even for a little more so, the churches to mean more to each other. So we have a great relationship pastor-wise, but I hope that we can just continue to uh, increase the relationship that the churches have. Um, man, 2020 is, is whack, right? I mean, it's crazy. Um, Right, and we and, and, and we got an extra hour of sleep last night on top of that. Um, and usually, I really look forward to that, but that was just one more hour of 2020. Um, and then, and then, I mean, even like, like Halloween, and I know y'all do a big thing over here. I think every year, trunk or treat, and and um, we we have not at, at Logos, but but even our my own children. Um, normally our neighborhood is just like if we would leave on Halloween evening and try to get back in, we wouldn't even be able to do that. I mean, it's that crazy that they, they truck a lot of times truck kids in from across the border. And it's just like you can't even move it for like three or four hours in our neighborhood. Last night, my poor girls were like, will you walk around the neighborhood with us? We walked around. I mean, it was like ghost town. Every light off. It's just it's just a strange year. Um, but I hope you hope you stayed safe. And yesterday, or maybe the day before, there was a a thing on TV, and it was talking about the scariest scariest movies of all time, kind of in light of Halloween. And I don't know what yours are. There were several. I had not seen The Ring and other ones. But but I went back, way back. This will age me a little bit. This was even before, really. I was I was um, you know growing up, but it was, it was a movie called When a Stranger Calls. Does anybody by show of hands, anybody remember that movie, When a Stranger Calls? And and there was the reason that I thought this should be one of the scariest movies. There's this scene, and maybe you've heard it, you know, sometimes you'll catch clips from movies that were, that were um, really popular. There's this point, there's a babysitter in a house, and there's weird stuff going on, and at some point in, in um, as she's getting a little more terrified, a little more terrified, the phone rings. Now, back then, this will age me also, you didn't know who was calling. It didn't say who was calling. Um, you couldn't block it. You know, you just answered it, and someone was on the other line. And, and also what could happen in a movie like this, you know, she was getting prank calls as she's babysitting, and they're, they're, they're beginning to terrify her. And so she calls the police, and so the police have traced the call. And so the phone rings, and it's the police, and they say, hey, we've traced the call, and the call is coming from inside the house. And I'll never forget, there was something specifically terrifying. It's one thing to know that the enemy is outside the door. It's it's another thing, I think another level of terror to know that the enemy is within. It's inside what we think is our safe zone. And so what's happening, you, you have been studying Jude, Jude is very similar to Second Peter, in, in discussing this enemy from within. See, 1 Peter, and many other books in the Bible, talk about the enemy from without, and that's a real enemy too, and that usually is, is those passages are preparing us to stand against an evil world, to, to face persecution. But there is a particular danger that 2 Peter and now Jude are addressing when the terror is from within. These false teachers that you have been talking about uh, that Jude has discussed have slipped in and they're very dangerous. And, and I think it, we forget this sometimes because it seems like so, such a long time ago. This is literally just a few years after the cross. Think about that. We think that, that organizations, that churches, ju- it would take decades, or for societies, decades or centuries to begin to drift. This is literally a few years after the cross, a few years after salvation for these, these people that false teachers have now come in, and it's a false, false teaching from within Meaning there's some level of belief as we're going to see as as Jude writes. There's there's some level of valid theology. They're they're in the camp. And that's why I think it's specifically insidious and dangerous. These people have kind of an entry into the the church. And theologian J.C. Ryle about this kind of attack from within says... Poison is always most dangerous when it is given in small doses and mixed with wholesome food. Think about that. Like, if you remember the cartoons, I'm thinking Bugs Bunny, and and like there's a big poison on the shelf, and it has like these skull and crossbones, and like you don't go drink that. But this is just a little bit of poison added to your food daily until one day you just end up sick, gravely sick, or dead. And so, what Jude is doing in this letter, does, he's reminding the church that the stakes are very high and that we are to address. We, we don't just sit back and hope things get better. Remember in verse 3, he says, It's important for the church to contend for the faith. This is a time where the church is not on, de, on the defensive, but actually goes on offense. That, that word contend means struggle for, to exert intense effort on behalf of. And so before we get into the text this morning, I was thinking this week, why don't we? Because this has been a problem, obviously, since the beginning of the church. But can we agree and just be honest in, in, in light of God being here that it's a problem today? So why don't we? And I think there's a few reasons all, many of them involve fear. I think one is a fear, I don't want to be that guy. Who knows that guy on social media? And like every, he's blasting every preacher that's ever preached. And you're like, I don't want to be that guy because everybody thinks that guy is a joke. And so I don't want to be that guy. And we'll talk in a, a little bit later. There is a right way and a wrong way to condemn for the faith. But I think, I think there's a fear for some of us, I don't want to be that guy. For some of us, maybe many of us, there's a fear, I, I might be wrong. I best not say anything because I don't know enough. And can I just be, and I love you, can I be very forced, then no more. Get in your Bible and know more that you are ready to get in the game. It's embarrassing, and I'm, I'm pointing the finger at myself some too, we don't know our stuff sometimes, therefore we don't contend. Most Christians, when the Jehovah's Witness or Mormons come to the door, you know what we do? No thanks. No solicitation, please. Often, I think, because we, we know they're probably going to get us twisted up and might even know our Bible better than we do. How, how sad is that? So I think that's a reason. I think there's fear. Um, we've bought the lie that maybe it's not our job. Well, that's for Marco and those people to do, but not me. And maybe, maybe another reason is laziness. Or, 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 and I think what we're going to see today, perhaps, that, that Jude is reminding the church an incorrect view of the justice of God. And so we, we see it out there, and we laugh, it's not a big deal. And, and, and I think what Jude is doing specifically in today's passage is saying, no, it's a very big deal. In fact, he's going to give us three illustrations today to build the case that we ought to be contending to to awaken the church, to remind us that the Lord indeed saves. I love that we sang of His salvation, but what Jude's going to remind us in the text this morning is He also judges righteously and punishes, and it's often those that with that are within the community, not see in the church. We're pretty good at at facing the boogeyman outside the camp and what jude is going to remind us and ought to make us a little nervous is that these judgments he's going to talk about are from those that at some point thought they were in the camp and that's that's similar to the false teachers that he's warning the church through throughout this book in fact here's what he says in verse four from last week he says the they're ungodly they're here and they're peddling sensuality and denying Christ. These two bedfellows that, that false teachers often peddle, idolatry and immorality, that's what these guys are doing. They pervert, he says, the very grace of God. And notice again, I think it's important, he's not, he's not accusing them of disbelief of, in God, but rebellion against God, a twisting of doctrine. Does that matter today? Do you see that in the church today? You see someone, and, and maybe it's a friend that posts it, and you're like, I, I think she's a Christian, and I know that guy is saying some stuff about Jesus, but that just does not sound right. Or, or maybe you even know, I know that's not right. So here's what I want us to take away today. A couple of things. One, I want us to, is from the text, to remember God's very real judgment and destruction of rebels. Don't, don't make light of that. Don't, don't, don't think that that doesn't happen. Remember God's very real judgment and destruction of rebels, and that is both bad for the false teachers, but it also is encouraging to you and I, and we'll talk about that a little bit later and then the second big thing is that we, we are to remember and be moved to contend for the true gospel while so many, so many peddle a false one. So would you join me now and pray as we get ready to dive in verses five through seven. Father, I, I, I'm so thankful for these people who have come hungry for your word, Lord. And, and we ask right now, Lord, we know our hearts. We know how our hearts can drift from you. We know how our heart, hearts can get caught up in our emotion or our opinions or, or, or what our spouse did or didn't do for us last night, and we desire to lay those things at the ground because they can, they can alter our true hearing of you, and so we want to be good soil this morning. We want you to speak to us, Father. We want our opinions, our desires, our want all those things to fall, and we want to hear you loud and clear because you are truth and we trust you, and we ask you to do whatever you need to do in our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, so illustration one, there's these three illustrations that Jude gives the church. This is the first one in verse five. Listen to the God's word. He says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Uh, I love that Eric talked about that, right, man? God is saving his people. We see this this thread that runs through the whole Bible uh, of God redeeming his people. But here's what is also running through the Bible. God destroying some people. In all three of the illustrations that he shows us this morning, it, it, it's those who are leaving their proper sphere, those who are leaving the will of God, thinking, well, oh, I still like some stuff about God, but then I want to do things my way. Does that sound relevant today? I, I'm stunned, and, and I I, I kind of laugh, but I'm not laughing at, at how often I have these experiences where... Uh, someone is coming up to me and they're they're asking for prayer and they really want God to move in their life and and so the Lord will just prompt sometimes I'll ask a question hey are you guys sleeping together or or you know I maybe I'll know some other major sin and like they'll kind of sheepishly admit that they are and I'm like "Do do you understand what what you're asking you're asking the sovereign Lord to bless you maybe even in this relationship in which you are now actively in rebellion to him. And so we, we divorce, we think that we can come to God and that he's not looking at and seeing and even judging us um, when we step outside his will. And so Jude says, although you once fully knew it, and I think here what he's saying is a little bit of a punch and a hug. I mean, a little bit of it is, A a, a hug, a reminder, come on, guys, you know this. This would be encouraging. You know, you've maybe temporarily forgotten, but you know this. But maybe a little bit of a dig, too. Like, guys, you know this. You've known this. This is not new information. You've known that the people were saved, and yet afterward, he destroyed those who did not believe. And so remember, and experience a fresh it's, we are always to be remembering and reminding in the house of God. Now, the ESV says, Jesus, you may have a version that says, Lord. And I don't want you to get tripped up there. A lot of the original manuscripts say, Lord. And so many commentators say, hey, probably the, 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 the Bible was talking about the Lord and, and mentioning the Father saving um, those out of Egypt. Um, but there's uh, others would argue, no, it's better translated Jesus. And we have good reason to say that it could be Jesus. I mean, th- there's, there are other times in the New Testament where we talk about Jesus in the Old Testament. In 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 10, um, Paul saw Christ in the wilderness this, that same kind of time. And he tells the Israelites or tells the Corinthians that the Israelites, quote, drank from the same spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And a little bit later, he says, let us not test Christ as some of them did, as some of them in the wilderness. He doesn't just say generically God. He said they tested Christ. Jesus is also often, um, pointed out as the angel of the Lord's armies in the Old Testament. So if it, if it matters to you, I think probably the better translation is Jesus. But it, here's the point. It re- that is not something to get wound up about. The point is that God is saving his people out of Egypt in the Old Testament. But here's what is equally true. God destroyed those who did not believe. We like to talk, and, and we talk a lot, and we should talk a lot, and we should sing a lot as we did this morning about rescue. But, but do, have you noticed, we, we don't often talk about destruction. There are churches, there are whole denominations now that will really do away with any talk of hell and really even the doctrine of hell and judgment and destruction. And so, I did a little test a while back and on Facebook, and I just said, hey, if you had 30 seconds with somebody, and just to share the gospel with someone, what would you do? And I got a lot of answers. Some were really good, and I thought captured it. And some, though, were, I think what we would say is pretty common in America, Jesus is love. Now, is that part of the, absolutely. Do we need to tell people that? Absolutely. But, but a, a few people miss that, man, there, there is judgment in the gospel. Right? Before there is the good news of the cross, there's the bad news. You need the cross, you, you need a savior because you're not in a good place. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says about these same people in this first illustration. This is God speaking, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I wrote, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The Israelites in the the wilderness believed that they were God's people and and their disobedience proved otherwise. And God destroyed them. It's not enough i have some belief hey have you noticed at every funeral wait well, he was a good guy man he's just up there above and i'm thinking often especially if i know based on what well i mean he he would you know man once a week he would pray for his food and it's like some level of belief doesn't do it you can be, here's, here's what's striking about this example. You can be in, in the people. I mean, the people that were clearly in the Old Testament, they were recognized, those are God's people, and you can be destroyed, afterward destroyed. Those who don't persevere are ultimately judged and destroyed. Now, here's what, here's what Jude is not saying, believer. Jude is not saying, if you, if you mess up this week, or if you messed up last night, you're gonna be destroyed. My, my wife was discipling a, a lady uh, just last week or two and had to, had to kind of remind her, no, she was worried if she sinned before death, you know, kind of that Catholic thought, would she go to hell? And my, my wife was <clears throat> so good in, in reminding her, no, what matters at death is are you found in Christ or are you found outside of Christ? So that's not what, what Judas is saying. He's not talking about believers loo- losing their salvation. Here's what he a- is saying. When a professed believer does not, um, does not demonstrate over time, they don't persevere, they perhaps prove their unbelief. And I think the Apostle John and 1 John would say it this way. They went out from us because they were never a part of us. <coughs> So this first group then is judged for unbelief. Look at what John says in John 3.18. Whoever believes in him... Excuse me. I have a little cold. I promise I did get a test. Negative. Negative. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is is true for Jude's audience. This is true for us. This is true for for the Israelites. This first group is judged for unbelief. Second illustration, verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, what is Jude talking about here? Again, this is... um, this is a, a, a passage with a little bit of controversy, but, but I think, and, and I, I have felt this way, and then I was just encouraged by a lot of the great commentators that I believe in, um, that this is what he's talking about. He's talking about, if we go back, if you'll allow me to go back for a minute, to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Let me read those, and then we'll talk about it. So, When man began to multiply, this is Genesis chapter six, verses one through four. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the son of the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So what I think is, um, is what's going on here is, and this is, Second Peter takes this same tact, is Um, and it also follows what, what Jude does. He gets a lot of this and, and Peter does too, in his second letter, a lot of this information, um, it's verified in the Bible, but they also gathered from other Jewish letter that is not considered, um, canonical scripture, but is, but, but, um, supports it. And first Enoch is, is one book that gives a lot of great detail about this, but here's what's happening. In Genesis chapter 6, that Jude is talking about. Angels, fallen angels, left their own dwelling and they transgressed, they sinned, they transgressed proper bounds. They left their proper sphere. You see, he, they did not stay within their own position of authority, and they came to earth. They became males and they they looked out and saw women and found them beautiful and they had sex with them, and they produced giants called the Nephilim. And so the, the key sin here, they did not keep their proper place. And so they are judged. God now says that they are judged, and they are kept in prison, in chains. Not a physical prison, but they are kept, they, they are kept impotent, chains of impotence, While they await final judgment, look what he says. They left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. They are impotent. They do not have their normal power. And they are being kept for their final judgment. And so while the first group was judged for unbelief, this group, I think, is judged for sinful pride and a lack of contentment. I I think the key phrase there, left their proper dwelling. They had a role. They had a place. And they, and and if we're honest, I think, so often we, we're we're not satisfied with that. God gives us a lane and and says, run in this lane. This is what you are to do. This is how you you are to act. And we say, well, that's not really what I wanna do, God. And that's what happened, and they're judged, just like just like the first group. They are guaranteed judgment in First Peter. I, I love how the Bible all ties together. So you got from Genesis to Second Peter to Jude, and even in First Peter, uh, I think it's First Peter three nineteen. Um, the 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 Bible says that Jesus went and preached to those in prison. And again, that, that's a verse that, that a lot of people say, when did he do this and what? Well, I think when you put it all together, he goes after the resurrection and tells these very fallen angels, it's not he preaches to them the gospel, like give them another chance. No, part of the gospel is a declaration of victory. He preaches to them, hey, you know how you're bound? Now you are completely defeated, and you will one day be ultimately destroyed. It's a a message of of victory that Christ does in 1 Peter. So again, the first illustration Jude gives the church is, is this group that is judged for unbelief. The second is this group that is judged for sinful pride and a lack of contentment. Now let's look at the third and final illustration. Verse 7, just as, in the same way, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. We, we use Sodom and Gomorrah often in culture now, right? When we see just some wicked stuff going on, we say, oh man, they've just descended into the abyss, like Sodom and Gomorrah. I remember a famous quote, Billy Graham was writing a book. I don't remember which book he was writing. And his wife, Ruth Graham, came to read kind of his first pass at the book, you know, before it was going to the, the editor and, and he asked her what she, and it, I think the, the, the point of the book was just how America specifically in the West was just declining, and he asked her what she thought about God's judgment on America, and she said, God will have to judge America or else he would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and so, so here's what Jude is saying. And again, for this, we can also go back to Genesis. I won't do it specifically. You can go back this afternoon to Genesis chapter 19. But you may be familiar with this story. Right before this happens that Jude's talking about, um, Abraham is pleading with God about the destruction of Sodom. And, so, and it's Sodom and Gomorrah and these surrounding other cities that were on the plains very wicked, and, and remember, Abraham keeps kind of going back and forth. God, you won't destroy Sodom if we can find so many righteous people, right? And God says, no, if you can do that, I won't. And then Abraham realizes he can't. And So he keeps, you know, the number keeps getting smaller. And the point being, God is saying to Abraham, they're all wicked. Is, they, they've just given over to evil. And a matter of fact, I will read maybe, maybe uh, one verse there, maybe verse... Yeah, four and five. But before, so, so here's what happens in the, in the next. That's chapter 18 of Genesis chapter 19. Two angels come to lot. And, and I think in preparation, it's like, hey, man, some destructions getting ready to go down. And so lot befriends them, shows them hospitality, invites them into his home and says, look, man, I want to feed you. You guys can stay here. You don't need to sleep out in the town center. In verse 4 of Genesis 19. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. So they surround Lot's house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now, if you know in the Bible, um, what, what they're asking is we want to have sexual intercourse with them. We want to know them sexually intimately. And so that's what Jude is talking about. Now, so some would argue and some have argued, hey, there's something similar going on here to the previous example. In the previous example, it was angels, fallen angels wanting to have sex with women. In, in this instance, it's men wanting to have sex with angels. So that's probably the sin is leaving kind of their normal bounds. Um, there are other people would, would talk about other issues according to Jewish literature. I mean, literature, it was known about Sodom and Gomorrah and these other cities that they were inhospitable, that they, they were, they were not just, they had a lot of pride, hatred of foreigners. Ezekiel chapter 16 says this about them. behold, This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. And so many today would make arguments that, hey, man, they were really just generally bad, and they were not hospitable, they were not just, they did not take care of the poor. That's really what's going on inside. That's really why God rained down fire. But sex with angels was not the primary issue. If you you saw that the men said, hey, we want to know the men. They didn't even know that they were angels. They said, we want to know the men. We want you to send out the men. It's not sex with angels that's the primary issue. It's not rape, horrible as it is. It's not a lack of hospitality. The issue is homosexuality. In the Old Testament, and, and the Jewish tradition would, would, would verify this, they unanimously condemned homosexuality as evil. That's why Jude says sexual immorality, uh, unnatural desire. If you have a King James, it says maybe they went after strange Flesh. Another Bible says perversion. Here's the point that Jude is is calling them out on. They they were um, they got judged for for sexual rebellion. It's sexual immorality. Where the first group was judged for unbelief, the second group judged for sinful pride and a lack of contentment. This group is judged for sexual rebellion and perversion. It's interesting, it's interesting that maybe more than any other area today, and I'm thinking again, because we're talking about kind of danger from within the church, um, in this area, we think we're on our own. We, We want God in all aspects of our life but I imagine there's a little book I'd read years ago that was powerful about Jesus being like with you in your house and, 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 you know, walking with you from the kitchen to the living room to all these different areas. But then it's almost like we get to the bedroom door and we like to, hey, Jesus, there's a deadbolt here. Um, you're welcome to sleep on the couch. But I like to keep this room private. And I think that has happened all throughout history, and, and we begin to think, in that area, I'm on my own. And God says, no, you're not. No, you're not. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, you have been bought. You have been purchased. You have been ransomed from a slave auction. You're not your own. You're mine. And the price was the precious blood of Christ. And so you're not free in, in any area. You're, you're mine." And so he judges. And the Bible is clear. There there are zero verses in the Bible that affirm homosexuality. Zero. Um, So the Bible is consistent, and it, it over and over says that the sexually immoral, not just homosexual, all sexual immorality, those who persist in sexual immorality, will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're rather destroyed. In fact, we have here in this last example, this last illustration, the fiery total destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and these other cities as our example of, of what awaits. So what, what, what is the conclusion? What, what's common in all three of these illustrations? Whether it's a, a, a sin of unbelief, a sin of pride and contentment, a sin of sexual rebellion, I think what's what's common is rebellion first. The problem with the false teachers, Jude is saying, is is rebellion. They want their own way. They don't want the rule of God. I mean, can you relate? They, They want the gifts of God. They want the provision of God. They want license from God to go our own way. They want a genie, but not a Lord. They do not want the rules of God. In relationships in sexuality in in how they handle money um, in forgiveness I don't want to forgive that person they here's what I I read several years ago and I think it's so true and maybe really true in America many people want the kingdom of God they just don't want Jesus as king so so these there's reason that Jude used these illustrations these are the very things that these ungodly people who have crept in are selling are we facing those threats today do you hear any false teachers kind of playing on the discontentment of people if you'll sow a seed, God will give you this, and he'll put that car in your garage. He'll get your bills paid. Are you getting any false teachers that are, that are kind of minimizing sexual sin in churches today? Heresy. It's heresy. heresy. And Jude is saying, and it's true in 2020, that false teachers enter from within the faith community and peddle these things. So if that's common, here's what's also common. The righteous judgment of God. One of my, uh, a preacher that I really like, David Platt, someone asked him one time, hey, what about the innocent? You know, the innocent that's somewhere in a place and and will God judge them? And he said, absolutely not. He said, here's the problem. That guy doesn't exist. There is no, no innocent um, that will be punished. Remember verse 4 said about these false teachers who long ago were designated for this condemnation. God's, God's already planned if they don't repent their, their condemnation. This stuff does not go unnoticed by, by our God. And so what what do we do then in 2,000? Like why these examples? What what are we to do? Um, It's interesting after Paul talks to the Corinthians about kind of how the Israelites failed and left God. This is what he says in in, uh, chapter 10 verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So I think one thing is just that we're warned that you and I are warned that we might not rebel, that we might not desire or downplay evil, and listen to teachers that do. Not only not desire it, but like when you hear someone say something like, Jesus is love, and you're like, yeah, you're tracking or tracking, and all of a sudden they minimize sin or they minimize it. You're like, mm, no, mm, no, that, I'm sorry, that's, that's not true. Those that, that peddle another gospel that pedal unbiblical doctrines have always been around, and here's what happened, they're always judged. So we're warned, but I don't want you to miss this church. We're also, I think, encouraged. Remember how he started off the passage and said, hey, remember, you know these things. God has always been saving and always been judging. And, And we're reminded and encouraged, the wicked do not prevail. I'm teaching through Daniel in in Harlingen and and man we're seeing you know uh, Daniel and his friends serve for their whole life under pagan kings and the question arises a few times like man God how about some relief how about some relief and why don't you 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 overthrow these pagan kings and what happened why does nebuchadnezzar have the biggest kingdom ever i mean god is that fair um and and all through the bible all through the psalms job asked this question why do the wicked prevail and god's answer is they don't psalm 75 verse 8 i used this a couple weeks ago i think talking about nebuchadnezzar or belshazzar for there is a cup in the lord's hand full of wine blended with spices and he pours from it. All the wicked of the earth will drink, draining it to the dregs. Here's here's what God is reminding his people all through history, especially his, his faithful people. The wicked don't prevail. They'll drink a cup. And you know what that cup is? It's the cup of God's wrath. He says they won't prevail. Those who call on the name of the Lord are assured of salvation and others will drink the cup of wrath and judgment. Oh, I asked uh, a few weeks ago in Harlingen, the, the question then is, who's drinking that cup? Either Jesus drank it for you, or you'll drink it. But it gets drank. All right, so we're, we're warned, we're encouraged, and I think the last thing that really goes, with, I think this is through the whole chapter, you and I, we were moved, I hope, to contend. That we might go on the offensive. We're reminded to go on the offensive. Now, here's what I did not say. We were reminded to be offensive. No, we don't need any more Christian jerks. Amen. Please. But, but the stakes are high. You, do you understand um, you can be very firm and settled in your views and not be a jerk? And just say, hey, I'm I'm very sorry, but that is not what God says. And with all the love in my heart, I want to compel you to repent. I want to don't listen to that person. That that does not, can I show you how that is, is absolutely in contradiction with God's word? You don't need to God, the gospel is offensive. You don't need to add to it and be offensive. And so here's what I want, four things I want, I think, to to contend that, that will help us contend. The first is just to be concerned. First, be concerned for the glory of God. God gets glory when his people stand for truth and don't apologize. You know, I, years ago, God humbled me. I, I, would, I would, you know, be sharing a message and I would preach, and sometimes it would be a very hard passage, and I would say, now, I mean, I don't know why God does it this way and I wouldn't do it, but, but God has seen fit to write it this way. And so if I were, I'm like, who am I to apologize for God's word? And again, so I don't, I don't need to be offensive, but I'm concerned for God's glory. I'm also concerned for people. This, this judgment, you and I know people that would be judged that, that are not safe, real people, separated from God. They'll drink that cup of judgment. And so we need to be concerned. We need to know the word of God. I mean, think of the three examples that were given today. Every day in in, in our reading, God is answering questions about who he is, about what he desires, about what he hates, how he sees you and I. Um, And so we do know. There's... You've probably heard this, the Secret Service, a lot of people don't know, besides guarding the president, they're also in charge of like counterfeit currency and and the way they train a new agent in how to like tell what would be a fake $100 bill is they have them spend hours upon hours studying a real $100 bill. And the point being, if a guy can do that or a lady can do that after weeks and months of training, they'll quickly notice a counterfeit. And so we have to be concerned. We have to know the word of God. So, man, someone says something, we're like, mm, no, that, that's, that's not true. Um, it also reminds us God is going to act like he has acted throughout history. There is no reason to assume that he will not judge the wickedness that we see around us. Well, he's just gotten like God is like this old grandpa, like, like Gary, right? And, like, you think, like, oh, God's just like Gary and just, like, so nice and kind. And, oh, he'll probably just give me a pass. That's not how God works. He will judge wickedness. The third thing is to get in the game. You, please, you, you don't, don't hear me. You don't need to become a keyboard warrior. You don't need to be, like, posting and slamming everybody. That's not the point. But, but right, didn't Jude say we're to contend we are to be in the game, we're to notice false teachers. We're to warn friends, I think. I think we're supposed to guard one another. Hey, I'm reading this awesome book, and like you cringe, and you're like, hey, can I just tell you some things about that book? I know it's sold at the Christian bookstore, but there's some problems with that book, and, and, and here's why, and I'm telling you this because I love you. Um, we, that's one of the things that we do when we live in community we we help one another we guard one another and the last thing maybe the most critical when we uh, want to contend is we point to the cross we don't point to self improvement we don't point hey I man just try harder sin less we, we 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 point each other and and ourselves to the cross that's where hope is found. All the songs we sang, right? All the confidence that we have, we point one another to the cross, to truth, to hope in Jesus, our Lord. He's good. Pray with me. Father, I'm so thankful for these examples that Jude uh, has, given, has given us, and they were, they were good for his people at that time, they're good for us. We know. We know that false teachers abound, and it, it's not enough to, um, to sit idly by. There is an active, not a rude, uh, but there is an active part that you want us to play, to stand up, and to defend, and to warn people, judgment is coming. Our our king is going to return, and he's gonna return not not like a lamb, but like a lion. The apostles were always warning people to prepare for the day. So Lord, we don't want to be derelict. We want to to love people well. We want to warn people well. We want to love like you love. I'm so thankful for you, Lord. So thankful for your word.